Amen. Amen. Church family, how are we doing this morning? Hey, it is good to see all of you here. Happy Labor Day weekend. Thank you so much for spending part of your weekend here with us at Calvary. So could you guys please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And as you're opening your Bibles, I wanted to let you know that Pastor Mike and Stacy are in Tampa this weekend to visit some family, but he's super excited to be back here next weekend to continue our study in the Gospel of John. But for today, we'll be in Colossians chapter 3. So to start off, I want to ask you all a question. How many of you agree with the following expression? And if you do, raise your hands high. Actions speak louder than words. Just about all of us. I'll put my hand too. Awesome. So we're on the same page. So why do most of us agree with this expression? Why is it so common for us to know this expression? Well, I'd say because in just about every aspect of our lives, our actions matter, right? In every aspect of our lives, our actions matter, and they have the biggest influence on how people view us, whether it's in our workplaces or in our social circles or in our personal relationships, how we conduct ourselves around other people can be influential. And it's no different when we talk about our status, our identity as followers of Jesus. Because how we live for the Lord will always speak greater volumes than merely what we say. And when you look at the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, there seems to be an emphasis on how we live around other people. Or as Paul would say, how we walk. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Colossians 2.6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Colossians 4.5 says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. And these are just three of the many examples that we find in the scriptures that emphasize that how we walk and how we live is important. But the bottom line is this. Our actions and the way we live has impact, not only by how people view us, by how people also view the kingdom of God through us. See, all of us here who are disciples of Jesus have been called to be difference makers, that call, that commandment to make disciples of all nations was never supposed to be reserved for pastors and ministry leaders and elders alone. That is our call, but what you need to know is that God has called you by name to make an impact for the people around you. You are a child of God and now you have a purpose. See, Jesus called us the light of the world and the salt of the earth. It is our privilege now and our responsibility to influence those around us for Christ. The question is, how do we do that? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter five, he says this, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we let our light shine bright for the world to see and we live in a manner that glorifies God and makes him known to other people, then God will use all of us to make a difference in our communities. And how many of you know that we need more people to shed the light of Jesus Christ in Port St. Lucie? We need more of that here. But just as our actions can have a positive influence, they can also have a negative influence. If we profess to love Jesus, but we live in a way that doesn't reflect that, it can have a negative impact. Our actions matter and they're impactful. But when we live out the new lives that God has given us, we show the world around us that we have been changed, that we have been made new, and that there's a better and more fulfilling life for anybody that would call upon the name of Jesus because we are proof of that. And as others see how Jesus has changed us, they can know that that change is available for them as well. And that leads us to our big idea of the morning. We have been made new, and we are called to live it out. We have been made new, and we're called to live it out. 
And that's what our passage in Colossians 3 is all about this morning. So before we jump into God's word, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. So Father, thank you for this time that we get to be in your word. Thank you for what you're doing in our communities through us. Thank you, Lord, that you would call us to be part of what you're doing. And I just pray, Lord, in this time as we study your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves through us and that you can have your way in this time. We commit this morning to you for it's all about you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So as we turn to Colossians 3, what you need to know is that the Apostle Paul is making a case. And the case that he's making is that because we have been made new, it is time to put away the old life that we had in the world and embrace the new life that we have in Christ. In his words, he would say this, it is time to put off the old self and your title to put on the new self. And Paul knew the importance of this all too well. See, when Paul was on that road to Damascus to persecute the Christian church there, he had an encounter with Jesus and it changed everything about him. His life was transformed from the inside out. He went from being a persecutor of the church to one of the greatest, if not the greatest evangelists our world has ever seen. But when he returned to the church of Jerusalem for the first time, Acts chapter nine says that the disciples didn't believe him. Now, why did they not believe him at first? Because just because he said he was a believer and that he had been changed, nothing showed that yet. But when Barnabas, his friend, was with him and said, hey, I saw that guy preach boldly in the synagogues for Jesus, then people started believing that he had been changed. And after three missionary journeys and a life completely devoted to the gospel, Paul proved through how he lived that he had been made new. Paul had been made new and boy did he live it out. And because he knew the importance of this, he is now writing to the Colossian church and exhorting them to live out the new lives that they have in Christ. And that's where we turn today in Colossians chapter three, verse one. So if you're looking at verse one, can you please say, I'm here? I'm here. here we go, verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the Apostle Paul begins by reminding the Colossians that first and foremost, they have a new identity in Christ, and that identity has changed everything. And because of their new identity in Christ, their eyes and their minds must be focused on him now and him alone. And that leads you to your first point, that our identity, our new identity, gives us a new focus. Our new identity gives us a new focus. So in these first three verses, we are told two very important things. Number one, we're told who we are in Christ. And there's nothing that is more important than that. See, verse one tells us that we have been raised with Christ, and verse three tells us that we have died. So what's Paul getting at here? He's telling us that as disciples of Jesus, we spiritually identify with the death and the resurrection of the Lord. In other words, because the Lord has died and he is risen, we also have died to the world and we have been raised to a new life. Paul explains it very clearly in Romans 6. He says this, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When we receive Christ as our personal savior, our old lives are buried and they pass away and we are raised to a new life in him forever. That is our identity now. We have been made brand new and alive in Jesus. And that's something to be excited about. And that's what our baptism signifies, right? 
When we go into the water, we have been buried in the likeness of his death. And when we come out of the water, we have been raised in the likeness of his resurrection. That's what baptism shows people. By the way, this past first Thursday, we baptized 12 people. God's doing something here, church. He's moving. So first, we're told who we are in Christ, but now second, we're told that because we have been raised with Christ and because we have died to the world, now our focus can and should be on him alone. Set your minds on the things that are above where Christ is. So to set our minds on the things that are above means that we think about and we focus on and we pursue the things of heaven and we make them the focal point of our lives. Essentially, Paul is exhorting us to make the things of God first place in our minds and in our thoughts. Because when we focus on the things of heaven, our lives and how we live change as a result. When we desire to be conformed in the, to the image of Jesus, the way we live is also gonna be impacted significantly. And that's how we can show the world that we have been changed. But that's a conscious decision that we need to make every day to be in lockstep with God's will for our lives. But that can be hard, right? As we're trying to live for the Lord, we're still gonna be tempted. And the pleasures of, the, of this world are still gonna try to have an effect on us. Whether it's material wealth, possessions, political discussions, whatever the case may be, they're gonna try to have first place in our lives. And are these things inherently bad? No. But if they're in the wrong place in our lives, they absolutely can be. And that's why we need to be so careful. So the question is, how do we prevent this from happening? Here's how. By reminding ourselves every day that what Christ has for us is better than anything that the world can offer. There is nothing in this world that compares to the freedom to the fulfillment and the joy that comes with being a child of God. And when we set our minds on these things and make them central to our lives, then we can truly seek the things that are above. And we can have self-control to not let the things of the world sway us. See, because our identity is no longer in the world, but it is in Jesus, what we think about, what, influence us, what influences us, and what we desire has to also change. Amen? Looking at verse four now. Take a look at verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love Paul's language here. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Notice how he doesn't say when Christ, who is a great part of your life, appears or even when Christ, who is the best part of your life, appears. He's more than that, isn't he? Because for the believer, he's not just a great part of our lives. He's not only the best part of our lives, church family, Christ is our lives, period. Period. He's everything, who we are, why we're here, and where we're going is centered around one name, and that name is Jesus Christ. And the truth is that once we make the decision to surrender our lives to the Lord, our lives stop being about us and what we want. Jesus comes first, and everything else needs to take a back seat. It comes second. In Matthew 16, Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The life of a Christian is a life of self-denial. Why? In order that we can make Christ preeminent and central to our lives. And if we hope to live abundant and fulfilling lives that we can live now, that's where Jesus has to be. But that doesn't mean that the things that you desire and the things that you want don't matter. They do Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. So the only thing is that if we make him first, all these other things will be added on. They still matter, but Jesus is at the center. And when it's all said and done, verse four tells us that when Jesus comes back, and he's coming back, that we will be glorified and we will spend eternity with him. 
And church family, if you're excited about that, can we let him know? Looking at verse five. Verse five going all the way to verse eight now. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Okay, let's stop right there. So the key word that Paul uses in verses five through eight is the word therefore. Because by using therefore, he's connecting the point he made in verses one through four to the exhortation he's making in verses five through eight. In other words, because we have died and because we have been raised with Christ and because we will be spending eternity with him, verse five through eight now, all these things of the earth need to be put away. But notice the language he uses here. He uses the words put to death. And that's strong hyperbolic language that he uses to reinforce how important this is. The Greek word for put to death literally means to make dead or kill. So what's the implication that Paul's making here? That for the believer, it's not enough that we just suppress or control our earthly desires. Now they have to go completely. And this leads us to our next point. Our earthly ways must be more than just avoided. They must be discarded. Our earthly ways must be more than just avoided. They must be discarded. So Paul lists two sets of earthly behaviors as examples of the things that we are called to put away. The first list we find in verse five, and he lists sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And the one thing that all of these behaviors have in common is that they are rooted in sexual sin. So in the context of when Paul wrote this letter, what you need to know is that the Roman Empire had a very prevalent issue of sexual immorality. So much so that Paul was confident that these Colossians had once all walked in these behaviors. He says in verse seven that they had once walked in them. Because of that, because of how prevalent they were, they would have been considered more serious sins because of how blatant they were and how common it was to see them. But then in the second list, in verse eight, he adds anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, that these things also must be put away. See, these would be behaviors that are regarded as maybe less serious because they're often overlooked or they're explained away. And it's easy to do that, right? We get angry and we just explain it as either not our fault or it's just human of us. Or we do something wrong, but we say, at least we didn't do that. Or I did this, but it could be worse. There are subtle behaviors that we have that sometimes we like to explain away. But that's a faulty way of thinking, isn't it? Because the point that's being made here <clears throat> is that there is no distinction that should be made between little sins and big sins. When it comes to the believer, all of these behaviors need to go. They all need to go away because we have been made new and we're called to live it out. 1 John 5 says that all wrongdoing is sin. All wrongdoing. But now let me ask you a question. Are there behaviors that have greater consequences than others? Absolutely. The Bible teaches that. But in the context of this passage of striving to be more like Jesus, sinful behavior cannot be explained away or compared and contrasted. If we want to be more like Christ, our effort needs to be to get rid of all of them. Regarding this passage, David Guzik says this. He says that there is no way that Jesus would walk in any of these sins. So if we identify with him, we won't walk in them either. <clears throat> so because our old identity has been put away and has been replaced with a new and better identity, the way we used to live also has to be put away for good in exchange for the new and better identity we have now the new and better way of living that God has given us. And that's precisely the point that he's gonna make now in verses nine and 10. 
So verse 9 and 10 says this, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, there it is, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So Paul here uses a very interesting metaphor to show what it means to live out the new life that God has given us. And he says that the way we do it is by putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And this concept of putting off and putting on gives the idea of clothing, right? Because all of us, we take off dirty clothes in exchange for new and clean clothes. In fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here for putting off and putting on literally means to unclothe and to clothe. So here's what he means here. Just as we would take off old clothes and put on new clothes, we are now called to take off our old life, our old self, and in exchange, put on the new self so the world can see that we're different. That leads us to our next point. That we have been given new spiritual clothes. But it's our job to put them on. That's a decision we make every day. We have been given new spiritual clothes, but it's our job to put them on. So growing up, I had a hard time getting rid of old things, especially old clothes, my old shirts. I was very attached to them, and I'm not really sure why. I don't know if it was sentimental value or if I just really liked old clothing, but when it came time to clean out the closet in exchange for new clothes, my closet wouldn't be cleaned out at all. I didn't want to part with anything. And because I kept all of these old clothes, I would wear them over and over again instead of the new clothes that my mother would buy me. And for a while, this was okay, but it eventually got to a point where this would get on my mother's nerves to no end. And she would ask me, why are you wearing these old clothes when I have bought you so many new clothes? Why do you go back to these old shirts? Do you not like these clothes that I bought you? And I would tell her, of course I do, they're nice, but I still like these clothes. What's wrong with what I'm wearing? You bought it. Why can't I wear these shirts? There's nothing wrong with them. In reality, there was a lot wrong with them. They were either worn out, or they had holes, or they were ripped, but for some reason, I really liked them. And she would be patient, she would see if I would make a decision on my own to finally make that change. But it always got to a point that for her, enough was enough. So there would come times, I remember one time specifically that I went to school, and when I went to school, she took the liberty of doing some cleaning for me. So she would get all of my clothes, she put them in a bag, and she gave them away. So I come home and I wanna change after school, and all of my clothes that I like are gone. So I go downstairs and I'm like, Mom, where are my clothes? What'd you do with my clothes? She was like, what clothes? I'm like, okay. Mom, where are my shirts and all of these clothes? She was like, oh, those old clothes I've been talking to you about. Yeah, I gave them away. And I would look at her with these like huge eyes. I'd be like, why would you do such a thing? And I'd be really dramatic with it too. I, I was a dramatic kid sometimes. I was like, how could you? And she would look at me, and she would give me the same answer every time this happened. She'd say this, because I bought you new clothes, and I want you to look better. And I'm so happy she made that decision looking back, because of course the parent was right, and the child was wrong. <laughs> a change was absolutely necessary, and it was a good change. Looking back, I'm thankful she did that. But it wasn't until I made the decision to put on those new clothes that I realized I wanted nothing to do with the old clothes that I had. And in the same way, church family, as followers of Jesus, what you need to know is that you have been offered new spiritual clothes. You've been offered a new and better way to live, and that's what you are called now to put on to show the world that you have been changed. God is, is inviting you to throw away those old clothes that are stained and put on new clothes that will never be stained again. He's saying that you don't have to live the way you've been living anymore because I have something better for you. 
And if we truly wanna make a difference in our communities in the world for Christ, it's only gonna happen if we make that decision to put on those new clothes. Because as I mentioned before, Jesus called us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. It is not only our job, but it's our responsibility to be the example to those around us. And we can't be doing that if we're living the way the world is living. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, before we reach the world, we're gonna have to leave the world. Before we reach the world, we're going to have to leave the world. In order to reach those who are lost, we can't be living like we're lost. We can't be living like we haven't been changed because the truth is, is that we have been found, we have been made new, and Jesus wants to use you and me as a testimony that he can and is making all things new. He wants to use you for that. But we have a choice every day. When we wake up, we make a choice. Are we gonna put the old clothes from yesterday or the day before on, or are we gonna put on some new and clean clothes? In the same way, here's your choice. Are you going to live the way you used to live, or are you going to make a decision to live for Christ for those around you? We made one big choice when we received Christ, that he is the Lord of our lives, but daily, every day, we make choices about what that's going to mean for our lives. He has given us new spiritual clothes, but whether or not we put them on is up to us. Amen? Looking at verse 11. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So Paul tells the Colossians here that the earthly barriers that existed in their time that was separating them, that was distinguishing them, has no place in the family of Christ. And that would have been a profound statement to make 2,000 years ago because the the racial, ethnic, and cultural divisions of that day were so thick and they were so aggressive that communities were unable to coexist. And because the Colossian church was believed to be a very diverse community, Paul knew that he was talking to many people that were different. And what he's saying here is saying this, hey, because you are now new, these things that distinguish you in the world do not matter anymore. You are one united church in Christ. And in the same way, as I look at you all now, I'm looking at hundreds of people that are probably different in so many ways. But here's what I would submit to you. That because you have been made new, because you have the same mission, the same purpose, and the same Holy Spirit in your life, the one thing that brings us together, that is stronger than anything that could make us different. We are one family in Christ. And as we see the way the world works, we see that a lot of barriers are still existing, right? Whether they be social barriers, socioeconomic barriers, racial barriers, political barriers, they're everywhere. But for the believer, for those who love the Lord, those things are not priorities. They come to the back seat. What's a priority now is who you are in Christ. So here's my encouragement for you in light of that. Do not let earthly barriers get in the way of your fellowship with someone else that loves the Lord like you do. We don't have time for that because our purpose is to know God and to make him known. The way we make him known is to show that we are one. We are one united body under the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we show that to the world, we show that we're different. We show that the things of the world are not able to separate us because we have a calling now that is greater than any other calling. Our calling is him. When we show that we're united, we show that that is more important than anything else in this world. Amen? Amen. Moving on to verses 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you 
must also forgive. So just as Paul gave us a list of earthly barriers in verses five and verses eight that describe what the old self looks like, what he's doing now is he's contrasting the old self from the new self by giving us attributes or behaviors that describe what a new creation in Christ looks like. And he said this, that the new self is compassionate, the new self is kind, the new self is meek, the new self is patient, and the new self is forgiving. Church family, I have a question for you. When you look at these attributes, who is the one person that embodies them perfectly? Jesus. Jesus. See, as Paul describes what the new self looks like, he describes Jesus to a T. What's his implication? Here's your next point. To put on the new self means to be like Jesus. To put on the new self means to be like Jesus. It doesn't get any more straightforward than that. See, for the believer, it's not enough to be less like those around us. For the believer, we now need to be reflecting and resembling Christ as best as we possibly can. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And because we've experienced all these attributes in our own lives through a relationship with Jesus, we have the capability to share them with other people. See, we experienced God's kindness because it was his kindness that led us to repentance. And we've experienced his humility because Philippians 2 tells us that he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross for us. That we've experienced his meekness and his patience because he chased after us and pursued us when we didn't want to be pursued and he waited. And how many of you know that every time we stumble or mess up, he ex we experience his forgiveness? We've experienced all of these attributes and now we're called to share them with other people. But the truth is, is we're not gonna get it right all the time, are we? In our pursuit of being like the Lord, we're gonna stumble and we're gonna mess up. On this side of eternity, we still fall short of the glory of God. We have made mistakes and that's bad news. But do you want some good news this morning? Here's your good news, that God is faithful. And that when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. When we fall and we go our own way, he is faithful to pursue us and get us back on track. That's God's heart for you. See, as a good shepherd, we are his sheep. And when we start going off the wrong road, what would any shepherd do? Go after the sheep and put them back on the right path. So as you're pursuing the Lord and you make mistakes, we should never justify our mistakes, but when we come to the Lord in repentance, what happens? He picks us up and he gets us back on his way. He is faithful to do that because he loves you and he cares for you. Are you thankful for that this morning? Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's not surprising that Paul left love to the end, is it? He saved the best for last. Because love is not only greater than all the attributes that he listed, love is greater than all of them combined. If we had to sum up in one word what it means to live out the new self, that word would be love. Why? Because with love, everything binds together. But without love, everything falls apart. Check out what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain what, church family? Nothing. And at the end of chapter 13, he says this, so faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. 
As new creations in Christ, love is at the core of everything we do and of everything we are. Why? Because love was at the core of everything Jesus did for us. John 3.16, you all know it so well. For God so the world that he gave his only son. And Romans 5 says that God demonstrated his towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is a gospel of power. And the gospel is a gospel of victory. But above all that, it is a gospel of love. Yes, Jesus went to the cross to defeat sin and Satan in the grave. But the one thing that led Jesus to the cross was his love for you and for me. That's what led him to the cross. And we know God's love for us is real not only by what he said about us, praise the Lord for what he said about us, but also what he did for us that he would send his son who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. If that is not love, church family, I do not know what love is. That's love displayed for us. And one of the greatest ways that we can show the world that God's love is real is by loving on people. So here's my question for you. How have you been loving on others lately? How have you been loving on others lately? If I can be vulnerable with you for a second, I feel like the American church has had a hard time with this lately. I don't know about you, but when I go on social media or I go on TV and I see people that profess to love Jesus at odds with each other and arguing and demeaning each other, I don't see much love there. Can we debate and disagree about issues that are important? Absolutely, but there is a fine line between debate and disagreement and slander and hate. And we need to draw that line as the church. Because we, as the church, are a beacon of light in a world of darkness, and we are a source of hope for people that are desperately looking for it. If we wanna make a difference, church, we have to be the church. We have to be the church if we want to make a difference. When we love others the way Jesus has loved us, we show the world that we are set apart. We show the world that we're different and that they can experience that love for themselves. Do you know that there are people in this world that have never felt an ounce of love in their lives? That could be you to be the first person to love on somebody. But if we want to love the world the way God has loved us, we got to love, our, we got to love each other first. It starts here. And then we bring it outside to show that God can change anybody. Amen? Verse 15. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And so one of the most amazing blessings that we get to experience as followers of Jesus is access to God's peace. And the Bible describes the peace of God as supernatural, as unexplainable, and also unattainable to the world. Why? Because it can only be experienced through a relationship with Jesus. Romans 5.1 says this, that therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we have the privilege to have access to this incredible peace, verse 15 tells us that we ought to let that peace rule in our hearts. The dictionary definition for rule is to exert control, to direct and influence, and to exercise power and authority. So bearing that in mind, the peace of Christ is something that ought to have a monumental impact on our lives. It ought to control us, direct us, and influence us. Now here's the million dollar question. How do we apply that? How do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts in seasons where things are just not good, where things are hard, when life gets worse before it gets better, when anxiety and fear are ruling over your life? How do we apply that to our lives? We have our answer in Philippians chapter four where Paul says this, a lot of you know this by heart, where Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, there it is, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the way that we let the peace of God rule in our hearts is by laying all of our burdens and our cares at his feet. That's how you do it. But that can be hard as human beings. I'll put my hand up. For a lot of us, we wanna have control. We wanna have authority over our own lives. We believe that we have it all figured out. And the more we do that, the more that anxiety and fear start coming in when things just go wrong. But the moment that you surrender all of your problems and all of your trials to Christ, that's the second that you will experience his peace. And that doesn't mean that things are gonna get better right away. But God will help you with what you're going through. But in the process of that, the anxiety and the fear is gonna diminish and his peace is going to increase. So if you're here today and you brought a burden with you here, a financial burden, a relationship burden, a physical burden, maybe a loss of a loved one, whatever it is, lay it at the feet of Jesus. Let him help you, bring him into your issues and in, in exchange, you will experience that peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. That's what his word tells us. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in your richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So while the old self is influenced and conformed to the things of this world, the new self is conformed and influenced to God's word. To God's word. And verse 16 tells us that the fruit of God's word dwelling within us is that we will be empowered to teach others in wisdom, that we will have a desire to worship, and that our hearts will abound in thanksgiving. But Notice the contingent he makes here, that for these things to happen, these marks of a person living the new self, for those things to happen, God's word needs to dwell in us richly. So that leads me to my next question for you. And let this answer be between you and the Lord. How often are you in God's word? How often are you meditating on his promises? How often are you studying his will and his plan for your life? See, I would submit to you that our personal time with the Lord is essential, not only beneficial, but essential if we strive to impact those around us for the kingdom. And Jesus thought so. If you look through the gospels, there are examples where Jesus goes his own way and he spends time with his heavenly father in prayer. No disciples, no crowds, just him alone with his father. And if Jesus felt like this was so important, how much more should we regard it as important? Our personal time with the Lord is essential. And it's in that time that we spend reading his word and praying to him that we grow an understanding of the God we worship. We can't serve a God that we do not know. And he has given us everything right here to live a fruitful life in him. Nothing needs to be added to this book. Everything that you need is right here for you. And the more time we spend in his word, the more we will understand his will. Psalm 119 says this, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Are you allowing God's word to illuminate the path before you? Or is the world around you guiding you the way you shouldn't go? As believers, we need to understand the God that we worship if we wanna serve him faithfully. So here's my encouragement and my challenge for you today. Make it a priority to spend time in God's word. More than just once a week, once a month, God forbid, once a year, make it daily. Have those appointments every day with the Lord whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon, whatever works best, spend time in prayer and in God's word every day and you will see the fruit that will come out of that. As God pours into you in that time, you will pour out to others. It's often in those times where God likes to speak to us so clearly 
when all the volume is down and he has our undivided attention. Spend time in God's word and the fruit will be unexplainable. But maybe you're here and you're saying, I have no time to do that. You have no idea what my schedule looks like. I am so, so busy. Make time. Make time. If Jesus found time between miracle working and preaching and healing and debating to spend time with his father, we can do it too. He did that because it was good for him, but he also did it as an example for us. And when he pours into us in that time, we will see it in how we pour into other people. Amen? Last verse, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so to sum up his discussion on what it truly means to live out the new self, Paul makes it crystal clear so none of us can miss it. To put on the new self means that in everything we say and in everything we do, Jesus is at the center of it all. Our lives are no longer about us and what we want as the priority. Instead, it's about living for him completely so he can be seen through us and people can come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's our mission. That's our purpose. And how we show the world that we have been made new is living it out. Here's your last point. The old self is about me, myself, and I. The new self is about Christ, his gospel, and his kingdom. How we live our lives every day is a testament to who we live them for. So church family, as we start winding down now, here's what I want you to ponder and think about for the rest of our time together. Who's at the center of your life? And does how you live reflect that? See, as Christians, we're always under a microscope. Everything we say and everything we do is always being watched. People examine us because we have a higher standard to live by now. And often it's the unbelieving world that likes to come at us and call us out the most. The unbelieving world loves to see us fall and stumble. And that might sound terrifying and stressful, but here's what I would argue to you today, that I think it's amazing news. Because for us to make a difference in the world, people have to know exactly who we are. And when we get it right, more than we mess up, people will take note of that. And through our actions, through our lifestyles, through the way we live, and by what we say, God uses us to help other people. And I'm here to tell you that he wants to use you. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I have nothing to offer. Absolutely you do. God made you intricately for a special purpose and he wants to use you. And because you have been made new, he is calling you to show that to everyone else so they can understand that Jesus can change anybody. And that brings us back to our big idea. We have been made new and we are called to live it out. But as we've seen today, this is a choice that each of us have to make. And the choice we make determines the impact that our lives will have. If we truly want the Lord to use us to bring change, we have to be the first change. It starts with us. And then from there, we can be used by God. Amen? So as I call the ministry team up, praise the Lord. So as a ministry tea comes up, here's how I'd like to end our time together. Maybe you're here today and you know that you made a decision for Christ at some point in your life. You know that you had that experience that he made you new. Just as Paul was transformed, you were also transformed from the inside out. But lately, you haven't been living it out. Maybe you're here and despite having been offered those new clothes, You've been wearing your old ones. Maybe you're here and you know that a change needs to happen. You realize that something needs to change. First and foremost, I wanna tell you that I'm so glad you're here. And I don't believe that you were here by chance. 
I believe God drew you here so you can know that he's got something better for you. And that his offer, when you came to Christ, stands still today. He hasn't forgot you and he is still pursuing you. And he wants to use you in a special way to make a difference. Second of all, I wanna challenge you today. I wanna challenge you to make that commitment right now. That those old clothes are gonna go away forever and the new clothes, the new self, is gonna be what defines you now. Make that commitment today. There's no better time to do it and do not let this moment pass you by. You might not get another one. If you're here today and you know that change is necessary, let that change happen and see how God will use you. If you're here and you've never made a decision for Christ, I am also so glad you're here. And he wants to change you right now. He wants to bring you from death to life and he wants to make you new. But that's your choice. Are you going to receive him today as your personal savior? The Bible says that if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And that today is a day of salvation. Let it happen today. If you're in either of those groups, please come talk to our ministry team. They would love to pray with you. They'd love to celebrate with you and tell you all about what it means to be a lifelong follower of Jesus. But here's my last encouragement for all of you. Remember who you are in Christ and let that identity fuel you to live every day for him. Because I believe God is up to something special in our community. And what's awesome about that is that we get to be a part of that. The question is, will you let him use you today? That's a question we all have to answer. I love you guys. Pastor Ethan, come on out.